Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Unwind podcast. We have just wrapped on our last series and wow, your comments and messages have truly been so touching. Please continue to write to me because it's so helpful to know which episodes you loved, which ones resonated, what you want more of. You can leave a comment if that's accessible to you on any podcast platform or just DM me on Instagram. Keep letting me know so I can make this podcast as useful as it can be for you. I'm excited to launch our mental health series that is going to highlight some bits from past episodes I find really resonate when we are thinking about mental health. I hope you enjoy this dose of wisdom and it helps you to reflect with ease and as much happiness as possible. On today's episode, I have the one and only Mark Groves, who helps you to nurture better relationships with others and yourself. Mark is the founder of the world's first social emotional network, Mind, that provides daily live on-demand emotional wellness sessions. Many people will know Mark through Instagram, through his Create the Love account with over a million followers. Mark hosts online courses to help you move past codependency, become a bound Boundaries badass and heal and recover from heartache. Mark is a living light bulb, shining and helping millions of people around the world find the love they want for themselves and for others. What's a favorite quote you like to return to often and why? Okay, there's a quote from Adi Ashanti that my sister sent me actually when I was going through a breakup, and I, I felt like everything that I knew was sort of melting away. And the quote is, enlightenment is a destructive process. It has nothing to do with becoming better or being happy. Enlightenment is the crumbling away of untruth. It's seeing through the facade of pretense. It's the complete eradication of everything we imagine to be true. I come back to that one often because I find that the paradigms of what I believe get shattered all the time. What I thought about myself, what I thought about how the world works. I mean, that has been deconstructed over and over again. And it just reminds me of the process of life is filled with death and rebirth. And it's just good to be humbly reminded of that always. I want to head straight into your work because it is so deeply fascinating and you have obviously one of the best emotional wellness platforms out there and you recently launched a course about being liberated in love and I thought this was such a great title. What does it mean to be liberated in love and why do you think so many people are not? Yeah, you know, the journey of being liberated in love is, I would say, a newer experience for me. And my partner, my fiance, Kylie, we have a, what we call relationship 1.0 and relationship 2.0. And relationship 1.0 had to end. Um, and it had to end because the versions of us that were in that relationship were still hooking in in codependent ways. You know, and I'll speak first to why is it so hard to experience liberation in relationship? 
I think what's fascinating about the cultural narratives around relationship is one that if they end were considered a failure as opposed to perhaps a success, you know, what a beautiful thing to think that someone can let go of something that no longer serves them, the other person. And if it's not for you, it's not for them. I mean, that's just a fact. It's kind of odd that we think that someone is our person when the other person doesn't choose us when we think, well, shouldn't our person choose us too? Like that's such a simple understanding of how relating should work. They might be the one who teaches us that. And so many of us, when we observe other people's relationships, you see that the relationship is actually not the place that they are their best self, that it is not the place that has given birth to their dreams or their potential or their possibility. It's actually often the place that they shrink or lose their voice or lose their autonomy or lose their sovereignty or lose something. And it's not to mean that relationships don't require compromise, but the difference between compromise and self-abandonment is compromise in and of itself is expansive. I might forego something for a connection or an experience. Maybe I might forego moving to a different city or something like that. And I can be sad about that, but I know that the decision itself is expansive to whatever I'm created in the sacred connection with my partner. And self-abandonment feels very different. It has an emptiness to it, a hollowness to it. Because really, when you think about what self-abandonment really is, it's leaving ourselves, leaving ourselves in a state that's not safe or in an agreement that isn't actually true to ourselves. And so you're not actually present fully in your life's experience when you self-abandon. You're physically there, but your soul must leave. And I think of that often, of that, what we observe in relationship, you know, because I think biologically we have to look at why did humans develop codependency? Well, you know, it's important when you look historically, Gabor Mate talks about this, that humans have two needs. We have the need for self-expression and authenticity, and we have the need for belonging. But when self-expression and authenticity threaten belonging, belonging usually wins, which basically means I'm willing to trade who I am to be in this group. And evolutionarily, that's actually a really important skill set because that's what keeps us in the band, the tribe, the group. And if we didn't do that, we would have likely died. You know, I was listening to a speaker, I can't remember his name the other day, but he was talking about how essentially what we're looking at is the decentralization of everything, money, power, news, but also the decentralization of self, which I thought was really kind of interesting. Like, because when you're part of a group and you adopt the values and collective norms of that group, and you might believe in some of them, but often we believe in most of them in order to fit in. And so when you actually start to establish an authentic self, an authentic need, an authentic, whatever it might be, voice, at the cost of belonging, you're actually decentralizing yourself. Does that, and maybe this is me jumping to the negative too soon, which I'm aware of, but does that also present hyper-individualization and separation, which mm. can potentially not be in service of us being our greatest expression? Yeah, what a great question and an important one because ultimately when you look at how societies operate, they can be ranked on their sort of individuation versus their collectivism, right? And when we look at, let's say, the global response individually to crisis like COVID, you see that different cultures were more collectively minded, which was including the abandonment of individuality. And then there's others that are fighting for hyper individuality at the cost of potentially the group. And the real challenges is when we moralize these things, because that's often what happens. And when we moralize things, it's really hard to explore them. 
what you're speaking to, let's just take it into the more micro lens then of individual relationships, which is most relationships operate in that sort of collective mindset first. And that's what codependency is. So I'm willing to be in a relationship with you at the cost of a relationship with me. That's ultimately the abandonment of self-expression and authenticity for belonging. And that might look more like being part of a religion, being taught that there's a certain belief like divorce is bad and you should be exiled from your family for divorce or having sex you know, or intimacy before marriage is bad. And you adopt that belief, even though that belief's not actually authentic to your soul, authentic to yourself. And really, let's be honest, when you're taught that sex and desire are bad, but innately they're human, you actually then have to, on at least an unconscious level, start to believe that a part of you is bad. And when we do that, we start to cultivate shame, and then we can't actually be present during arousal, hence why most people in their earliest experiences actually are high or drunk in those experiences because they can't be present in their bodies because they would have to believe the part of them that the bad is in the state of arousal. So all of this to say, like at some point we have to decide, and usually it comes from the experience of illness or it comes from the experience of some sort of, let's just call it a rock bottom, where we wake up to where we have self-abandoned. Well, we get invited to wake up. It doesn't mean that we do. And so really when I talk about liberated love or this idea of a decentralized self, ultimately it's that, and my dad said this to me when I was young, but I did not understand what he was saying. I was like, sure, dad. Okay, great. He was like, (laughs) the relationship is a separate organism and it must be fed and nurtured as such. And there are, and both you and your partner are separate organisms that contribute to that. So when human systems operate in that state of interdependency, where there still is a need for other and there still is a moving together, honoring the sacred space that exists between you and around you, but you're also, the space itself honors the individual too. So there's this balance, you know, like my partner and I might talk about where to live and I might actually not, maybe on my like number one priority, want to live where she wants to live. But in service of the connection and the possibility that might be garnered by one place versus another, I might not feel like my my number one need was met in that space, but I can recognize that the movement together is actually smarter and I'm willing to do that in service of the sacred connection of the relationship. It's like, I don't always agree with my partner, you know, and I don't actually like some of the feedback I get from her, but my job isn't to like it, it's to integrate it. You know, my job isn't to agree with her experience of every experience we share together, but it is to validate that her experience exists. And so it doesn't need to disappear to honor the relationship, if that makes sense. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I've been really excited to ask you about this question in particular because I see this advice everywhere and the advice is write a wish list for everything you want in a future partner. And maybe people use the word manifest, manifest your future partner. Right. Does this not turn people into huge perfectionists? And I say this because, <laughs> and I'll use myself as an example. I was single for years because I had this vision board of my perfect guy that I wanted to inverted commas manifest. And honestly, had I stuck to that board, I don't think I would have kissed anyone in the last like <laughs> 12 years. Well, I think it can serve a few purposes. I mean, I definitely get you. If you're someone who's prone to perfectionism, uh, creating a <laughs> list of Mr. or Mrs. Perfect or the perfect person is probably not great. And perfectionism as a strategy is really about finally trying to be enough. But everyone knows the curse of the perfectionist is as soon as you achieve anything, you just come up with another fucking thing so that you're not enough again. So it's kind of like learning to live in our in our imperfections. That list, I love that you said you probably wouldn't have kissed anyone in 12 years. Yeah, because sometimes our lists are actually walls. You know, sometimes the standards that we keep or hold are actually barriers. And and so I think it's just important that we check in with ourselves. And I think this is that you asked that question about the relationship to soul. This is where we actually start to return back to our intuition. And because you'll you'll get to have a better relationship with your intuition when you begin to build boundaries around yourself because you'll have more space to be who you are. To be a you know, I'd work with people where I'm like, what do you what do you want? What do you need? And they're like, I don't know. And it's because they, no one's ever even given them the space to figure that out and their lives were based on other people's needs. So the first is just this simple check-in. Are my standards actually a way of keeping people away? Is my list actually a way of keeping people away? And you'll get the answer. You might not like it, but that doesn't mean it's not the right answer. I always think of Carolyn Mace where she says, we ask for guidance from God and then we get it and we pretend that we don't hear it because we didn't like what we heard. <laughs> so... In the context of uh, the list, if I ask someone, what are you looking for in a relationship? And they say, I don't know. I just go with the flow. First off, I'm like, that's total bullshit. You do want something. Like you're looking for something. But you might be afraid to say what it is because you might be afraid to be disappointed that you won't find it. And you, you might be already preparing yourself for disappointment. But you actually have to go into the relating process being very clear what you're looking for. It doesn't mean you can't be like, hey, I want to have a casual relationship for the meantime. And then maybe there'll be a point where you want to shift it. But I think anyone who's been in a casual relationship knows how hard it is to actually shift that. And when they look back, they can see that they only said that so that they didn't ask for too much. And when you get clear on what you're looking for, then you'll be looking for it. When you don't get clear on what you're looking for, you'll accept anything and try to make it fit. You'll try to accommodate their desires. Obviously, we're humans. We're biological. you got to desire the person you're in relationship with. But if you've always been aroused by or drawn to unavailable people or chaotic people, I think there's a good argument to be made that 
your desire is actually drawing you to learn how to not say yes to everything that your loins tingle for, you know, <laughs> that you have choice between what you're drawn to and what you choose. What I guess my question is, how do you know you're in love? Because we got told love is this kind of like, I can't breathe, I'm so excited, like fireworks. And yet, actually, maybe there's different expressions of love, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is love. And actually, perhaps I haven't experienced it yet. So how do you know if you're in love? Well, God, what a beautiful question to explore, even when you believe you are, you know, like, how do you know? You know, when we check in as like, what were the moments that we felt the most calm in company of someone, like felt like we could really be ourselves, this sort of exhale. How do we know we're in love? Well, gosh, we need to first look at what were we taught about love? You know, what were we taught about it? So many of us unconsciously believe love leads to lying, cheating, divorce, exile from our community, that love is chaotic and unreliable, that our parents weren't there for us. And then we wonder why there's a familiarity in our nervous system when we're around people who are like that. And then we say that's love. And so I think there's this part of really getting to know the nervous system that's important and getting to know one's bodily response to reliability, you know, because as I said, when you look at the attachment system, it's constantly saying, is this relationship safe and secure? Am I providing a space that's safe and secure? And sometimes we're not. And we're drawn to that. We might find that super sexy. And then what happens is that unreliability especially if we're intimate with the person who's unreliable or doesn't choose us or constantly abandons us, we'll treat the pain of the rejection and the abandonment with arousal, so much like a drug. Getting to know love, I mean, who am I to be able to define it? I would say that in my experience, I always come back to that idea of being fully in alignment with my own personal highest potential because how can I exhale if I'm myself sort of constricted with my own shame that I'm not living at my highest level of wisdom and knowledge. And the other side of that is, have I created a space with my partner, or even when I'm in the early dating process, where I honor the truth over everything? I mean, I think that's what liberated love really is, is this honoring of the truth, even at the cost of it fracturing a relationship. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed today, please hit subscribe and leave a comment because this helps the podcast so much. I'd be endlessly grateful if you wouldn't mind doing so. My mental health book, Happy Not Perfect, is available to order now. The book teaches you how to be a flexible thinker, a skill that helps you navigate any challenge that might come your way, helps you manage emotions and helps you thrive to be the bendiest version of yourself. Until next time, I love hearing from you. So do shoot me a message on Instagram. Send me a DM with any of your thoughts. Stay safe and well. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.